Welcome to the Business Scholarship Podcast, interdisciplinary conversations about new works in the broad world of business research. I'm your host, Andrew Jennings. If you like what you hear today, please consider subscribing to the podcast or sharing with others who might like it too. And if you have ideas for future episodes, let me know. My email address is andrew at andrewkjennings.com, and I look forward to hearing from you. Our guest today is Brett McDonald, professor of law at the University of Minnesota. We'll be discussing his article, Stakeholder Engagement. I'll have a link to the article in the show notes for the episode. Brett, welcome to the Business Scholarship Podcast. Thank you very much for having me, Andrew. Brett, one of the central debates in corporate governance over the last few years, or maybe even the last number of decades, has been to what extent the firm should be governed exclusively for the benefit of shareholders, or to what extent it should be governed also for the benefit of a broader world of stakeholders like employees, customers, the community at large, and so forth. When it comes to governing for the benefit of shareholders, the question of how does management of a firm engage with those shareholders is a pretty well-established question. There are embedded structures within the corporate law for shareholders to weigh in through voting for directors, nominating directors, voting on extraordinary transactions. There's a proxy process by which management and shareholders can communicate, or at least management can communicate with shareholders. And to some degree, shareholders through precatory proposals can communicate with management. And then, of course, there are more informal but important types of engagement with IR officers, investor days, analyst calls, sit-downs with CEOs and CFOs and important investors. And then, of course, the buying and selling of a company's stock is an important signal to management about the sentiments of shareholders. So there's a lot of different types of back-and-forth engagement between managers and shareholders. But your article really identifies a question about if the firm is to be governed for the benefit of stakeholders more broadly, how does management necessarily engage with those non-shareholder stakeholders? So I wondered if you could talk a little bit about your motivation for this article and what your research questions were going in. That really sets up the motivations quite well. So I have a a longer term and a shorter term motivation to this. The longer term motivation is that what brought me to corporate governance several decades ago, and my long-term interest has been employee involvement in corporate governance. And my dissertation in economics was cooperatives, actually the Mondragon system of worker cooperatives in Spain. So I've long been an advocate of involving employees in the government of companies. So that's my long-term interest. And then more short-term, as you say, there's been all this talk recently about ESG or sustainability or corporate responsibility, or more especially stakeholder governance. That's a term often used, stakeholder governance. But as you say, mostly when people talk about stakeholder governance, they're talking about governance for stakeholders, to what extent do and should companies take stakeholders' interest into account. But they're not talking about governance by stakeholders, which is really what I have long been interested in, as I say, particularly one important group of stakeholders, the employees. I've long been sympathetic to the stakeholder governance idea, but critical in that it's not really focusing on involving those stakeholders themselves in governance. So that's been my long-term interest. And then more particularly, what drove me to this paper is as I was doing some talking with shareholders and managers and lawyers who are involved in the shareholder engagement process, specifically in the work on climate change and work that's been done to try to pressure companies on climate change. As I was talking to them about the kinds of shareholder engagements that you mentioned in your questions, a few people mentioned to me, oh, we also do this sort of engagement with stakeholders as well. 
That perked up my interest, given my long-term interest. I thought, okay, what are companies doing to engage with stakeholders? I know they're not electing representatives onto the board of directors like you see in countries like Germany, but what kind of things are they doing to engage with their stakeholders, not with shareholders, but what things like what they do as shareholders are they doing to engage with stakeholders? So that became my main question, really. There really served two parts of that. What stakeholders do they engage with? What kinds of means do they use to engage with those stakeholders? And how does engagement differ for different kinds of stakeholders? Which ones do they engage with more? What different kinds of tools do they use with different kinds of stakeholders? And the other side of the question I'm asking is, how does that get incorporated within internal corporate governance? In what ways are the directors and officers of the corporation, the main leaders of the corporation, involved in and using that engagement with stakeholders? So it's mainly an empirical thing of what are the large American corporations doing to engage with their stakeholders? That was my question. I'd like to talk a little bit about the methodology you pursued trying to get a handle on some of these empirical questions. You did a a pretty wide-scale survey as part of this paper. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about the survey study that you did, what you hoped to find in the data and the disclosures that you looked at, what did you find, and what are some potential limitations in that process that we should be mindful of? there's a variety of things you could do to try to get at this. You could try to interview people. You could try to do surveys. And those are all useful. And some people are already doing a bit of that. But what I tried to do is start with somewhat low-hanging fruit, though it still took plenty of work, I must say, was to just see what companies say about how they're engaging with their stakeholders. And so I just look at sort of public disclosure documents by publicly traded companies to see what they say about their stakeholder engagement. And to do that, I looked at the 100 largest companies on the S&P 500. So the S&P 100 largest companies that took me enough time. And that seemed like a big enough sample to get some decent sense of what's going on, at least at large companies. And I looked at two kinds of documents. Most of the information comes from voluntary disclosure and they're sometimes called ESG reports or sustainability reports or social responsibility reports. They go by different names, but almost all large companies do these nowadays. 20 years ago, they were pretty rare. Nowadays, large companies all do these regular kinds of reporting. And that's about how they're engaging with their stakeholders, how they're treating the environment, how they treat their employees, the kind of philanthropic work they do, that kind of thing. I looked at what those kind of annual reports on social responsibility had to say about stakeholder engagement. And the other place I looked for some of the information is in the annual proxy statements that public companies are required to submit with the SEC before their shareholder meetings, particularly information about directors and officers had some of the information I needed. So I basically had a team of RAs gather information from those two kinds of documents, and then the RAs and I coded that information into various measures of both stakeholder engagement and and some specific tools of governance at the officer and director level that we'll talk about in more detail. To my findings in a moment, but just a word about benefits and problems of that way of doing things, a benefit of it, as opposed to, say, interviewing or something like of that, is it allowed me to cover 100 companies, so fairly large sample of companies that I was able to look at. And there's a lot of information out there, and this is a way of gathering that relatively cheaply and easily. 
a couple problems with that that you need to be aware of is this is self-disclosure, right? And a lot of this comes from voluntary self-disclosure that's not regulated. So companies are deciding what they want to disclose and what they want to say about it. And so far as there's information that's embarrassing to them, they're probably not disclosing it. They're probably trying to put a smiley face gl gloss onto how things are going. And but maybe even more seriously for what I'm getting at, there may just be differences of opinion as to what counts as stakeholder engagement. So for instance, if you have surveys of or satisfaction, is that a form is that something that should be disclosed in these documents or not? Each company gets to decide that that counts as a kind of engagement with customers. For me, I count that, but it may be that not all companies that do that are actually including that in their documents. So there are some problems like that, but still, I think it gives you a rough and ready sense of what is going on out in companies. We can talk in more detail about some of the findings, but just to give you a sense of the big findings. First, at the basic question of engagement, who's being engaged and what kinds of engagement, I'd say a few big points. One, the group that's most engaged by most companies in a variety of different ways is their employees, which makes me happy because, as I say, these are what got me into this business in the first place, studying corporate governance. But also it makes sense. They're obviously a critical group to the success of the business. They also have critical information in the business about the business. And they're fairly easily reached. They're right there as opposed to some of the other groups that are more spread around. So fairly easy for companies to reach them. So it makes sense. So employees are the group most engaged after that customers uh, and local communities and philanthropic groups or NGOs are the most engaged groups. In terms of the kind of engagement you see the most, it's mostly lower level engagement, engagement that's not giving a lot of power to stakeholders, but it's just seeking out their views in various ways. The most common kinds of engagements are simply meeting with stakeholders of different kinds and surveys of, especially surveys of employees and customers. Those are the two most common types of engagements that you see. For employees, you also see something called, they go by different names, employee research groups or affinity networks. So you have the sort of the gay employees of the companies or the, the Catholic employees of the companies or the black employees of the, there are these groups for them. These are almost universal in large companies. Now, I hadn't been aware of that. It's an interesting sort of phenomenon worthy of more study. You see somewhat less frequently, but still for another common type of engagements for nonprofit organizations is partnerships, various kind of partnerships they enter into with them to accomplish particular sort of social goals. Less common, but something that you do see uh, with some regularity, especially with employees, standing councils of employee representatives, like for instance, safety councils or diversity councils focused on those kinds of interests. What you don't see is electing employees to the board or other stakeholders electing their own representatives to the board, like you do, for instance, in German co-determination. We don't have that in the United States. The only kinds of actual empowerment where a stakeholder group really gets to set policy in some ways is the remnants of unionization for employees that you still see at some companies. So that's the main findings on engagement with stakeholder, just a word on in terms of the internal corporate governance mechanisms. At the board level, I looked at what 
board committees are responsible, if any, for overseeing stakeholder concerns and stakeholder engagements. Almost every company now does designate a board committee for that. It's usually the nomination or governance committee, which is one of the traditional committees for large public companies, but a significant minority of companies have their board committee that's specifically focused on sort of social responsibilities or stakeholder issues. At the board level, you don't have stakeholders electing their own representatives, but you do have some stakeholder groups who have people who are put on the board, that people who run nonprofits are often on the boards, former government officials are on the boards, some academics are on the boards. Employees and customers, however, aren't on the boards, interestingly. And then the one last, two last things I looked at, at the sort of officer level of governance, I looked at a couple things. Most companies now have two kinds of officers that are relevant here that are relatively new. You have sometimes called the corporate sustainability officer. It goes by a variety of names. It's overlooks often with an environmental focus or more broadly stakeholder focus. And you also have chief diversity officers focusing on diversity and equity issues in the workforce. And the last thing I looked at is executive compensation. And there's a growing trend to have some components of compensation tied to various stakeholder issues, the environment or diversity measures, things like that. And I found a majority of companies say they do something like that, though, honestly, the disclosure there is pretty hard to parse exactly what they're doing. And it looks like they're mostly not doing their only a small part of compensation that's measured in, in, in not very precise ways, but still there's a lot of growing attention being focused on executive compensation in this area as well. So those would be my main findings. With that survey in mind of processes and the structures of stakeholder engagement that exist in various firms, did you get a sense of this engagement having any influence or effect on substantive governance decisions? Were the data not quite designed to give you a sense of whether that was happening? What are your thoughts there? That's a really great question. That's the million-dollar question. And I have to say, my core answer is this study isn't really set up at getting that. I'm looking more at the input. I'm not seeing the output. It's a great question and I'd something I want to follow up on, but it's hard for me and what I'm doing here to get at that. But let me talk about another project I worked on. It was sort of the project that led into this, which does, I think, go to this question a bit more in one particular area. So my prior research were, as I say, some discussion with people involved in shareholder engagement sort of tipped me off to this stakeholder engagement was looking at climate change and looking at how companies in the United States and actually also Australia, my co-authors, two of them were Australians. We basically talked to directors, officers, shareholder activists, lawyers about the shareholder engagement process, specifically around the question of climate change, which is one of the most important, the main part of the E and the ESG, environmental, social, and governance. And one thing we tried to get at there in asking questions was exactly this question you're asking after we talked about what are you doing to engage with shareholders on the environment? What are you doing in terms of disclosure? How have things changed? After looking at this, we asked, is this actually affecting anything the company does? And the results were discouraging, not honestly surprising to me, but discouraging. For the most part, the participants really couldn't 
point to any sort of specific impact they had. The people in the company were basically saying, yeah, we're already doing this stuff anyway. All this engagement really just helps us get our story out there better than we were doing before, but it's really not changing things. That is what people were telling us, although that was already five years ago, and things are changing quickly in this area. So what one hopes is or will happen over time as these kind of mechanisms get more entrenched in companies and become more expanded is that as you have companies listening more to these different stakeholders and also as you have these issues embedded within the decision-making structure in these committees that we're talking about, the board committees, and in these officer positions within the company, the hope is that those persons who are getting the information and spending time on it will eventually that will affect their sense of how these decisions should go. But it's hard for me to really tell if anything much is being changed in terms of what companies really do from this study. One of the limitations of the data that you note in the paper and in this interview is that one, it's voluntary. So there could be some cherry picking involved in this sort of stakeholder engagement reporting. And then two, it's fairly inconsistent across firms and you identify these as problems. Do you have any thoughts on how to maybe address these problems going forward? Yeah. So I have specifically on the question of stakeholder engagement, I do have some suggestions on what you could do to improve disclosure. Obviously, there's been a lot of discussion going on around making some of this voluntary disclosure we're talking about mandatory, right? And the two leading examples where there has been initiatives by the ESCC so far are on climate change, which is still pending, and also on human capital governance. So that's sort of your management of your workforce where something has already been put in place and that may get expanded in the future. So there's obviously ongoing discussion about to what extent should we take all these different voluntary disclosure that's out there with a lot of different standards and try to standardize it through mandatory disclosure. Specifically on the question of engagement, it wouldn't be that hard to ask companies to say, what are the main stakeholder groups you are important to your company and what do you do to engage with them and lay out the kinds of engagement in particular that they should discuss in that sort of the main categories I discussed in my findings. Surveys, meetings, social media, councils, research groups, that kind of thing. So lay out categories and engagement. And this can actually all be done in a nice chart. So the gold standard when we were doing our research and trying to get at what companies were doing here that made just our tasks so much easier for the companies that didn't is ones that had a simple chart. They had on the rows, the different kinds of stakeholder groups, and they had the different kinds of engagement meetings, categories I just laid. And they just, in each box of the chart, they laid out for employees. Here's what we do with surveys. Here's what we do with meetings, here's what we do with councils, et cetera, et cetera. They're just really neat and easy to read, and you can pick up the basics of what's going on there. So a chart on stakeholder engagement would just be a nice way of visually, in a concise way, communicating the basics of what you're doing in stakeholder engagement. 
The other sort of specific disclosure recommendation I make in the paper is on the question of executive compensation, where we already have a lot of disclosure on executive compensation, but this disclosure on what they're doing in terms of non-financial measures is still, it's very spotty and very imprecise. And again, you could ask for more precision and more sort of pointed questions there about if they are using non-financial measures, do they use specific quantitative metrics? And if so, what metrics do they use? What percentage of compensation is tied to specific financial metrics? You could ask for more precise measures, quantitative measures of what's going on there. So those are the two areas of disclosure that my experience of trying to look through all this disclosure suggested to me you could fairly easily get some clearer, better disclosure. Could you talk a little bit about the contribution you see this paper making to the existing literature and the existing debates on, say, stakeholder governance and ESG? There's an empirical and a normative side to what I'm trying to contribute. Empirically, it's just pointing out that all this stuff is already going out there. Companies are already engaging with their stakeholders in a variety of ways, and that matters and is valuable. It matters as a way of form of accountability. If it's a way of helping companies stay honest to these different groups, their behavior impacts, and it matters as a way of getting information within companies about how you're doing and how you could do things better. So part of it is just drawing people's attention to that there is this phenomenon out there and it's already going on and here's what's happening and here are outstanding questions about what's happening and the effect that's having that could be done in future research. So that's the empirical side of it. Then there's the normative side, which asks, is the engagement that's happening, is it accomplishing anything positive and could one go further. And my normative priors are we could go further. Again, I come into this from wanting to have employees sort of centrally involved in corporate governance. And obviously, we're nowhere close to that in large American companies. So I make a normative case for that. Now, as I admitted in one of my earlier answers, this research itself just raises the normative question of what are we accomplishing with this? I have some answers based on basic sort of economic reasoning and studies that have been done elsewhere as to the potential benefits, but I'm not going to claim that this one paper in its actual empirical findings tells you the answers to the normative questions. I'm raising these normative questions. I have some preferred answers to them, but that's a question for ongoing research, making the case either for and against what's being accomplished by this stakeholder engagement and could and should it be pushed further. But that's my long-term normative question is clearly, this is good and we need more of it. What key takeaways would you like listeners to have from the paper and from this interview? So a couple. Stakeholder governance doesn't have to be just governance for stakeholders, looking out for the interests of the stakeholders. It can have elements of governance by stakeholders as well. Companies can involve stakeholders in letting them know about what's going on in the company and what could be done to govern the company better. Two, it's already happening at low levels. We're already engaging stakeholders in many ways. It's important 
part of what companies are doing. It's a fast developing area. It hasn't gotten much attention from corporate governance scholars to date, and it's worth paying more attention to what companies are already doing here. And the third point is we could do a lot more. And in particular, the governance we do right now is mostly at a lower level of just seeking stakeholders' views on various elements of how the companies are operating. The next level is actually more actively involving stakeholders in the affirmative decision-making process itself. We're not seeing much of that so far, and I think it's worth experimenting in that way to getting stakeholders and especially employees more actively involved in corporate decision-making. Our guest today has been Brett McDonald, professor of law at the University of Minnesota. We've discussed his article, Stakeholder Engagement, and I'll add a link to the article in the show notes for the episode. Brett, thank you for joining the Business Scholarship Podcast. And thank you very much for having me. I've really enjoyed talking with you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Business Scholarship Podcast. If you like what you heard, please consider subscribing to the podcast or leaving a rating on your favorite podcast app, or let other people know about it too. If you have suggestions for future episodes, please let me know. My email address is andrew at andrewkjennings.com, and I look forward to hearing from you. Until the next time, I'm your host, Andrew Jennings.